After a year like no other and learning how to adapt in what unfortunately seems to be our new normal of life during a pandemic, a popular food and restaurant event gets ready for its 16th year. I'm Courtney Drake McDonough, the publisher of the In Good Taste Denver blog and host of the In Good Taste Denver podcast. My guests today are Jessica Benjamin, who's the owner and producer of First Bite Boulder Restaurant Week, and Dakota Soifer, who's the chef and owner of Cafe Aeon, a Spanish-focused restaurant in Boulder that's been around for more than 11 years. Dakota's also a previous contestant on Food Network's Cutthroat Kitchen. Thank you both for joining me today to talk about this fun event coming up. Thanks for having us. Um, Jessica, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what First Bite and Boulder Restaurant Week are, and also throw in, if you wouldn't mind, because I know it's a fun story, how you and Dakota know each other. Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, I can actually start with Dakota and I. Dakota and I worked together about 15 years ago. He was a chef at the kitchen. He can share more about that. And I worked uh, as the hostess and worked in the marketing department as well. And, you know, as most restaurants go, you get to know each other. Everyone becomes one big family and we stayed touch. Even when we left uh, working for them, we've stayed in touch through the years and worked together with events here and there. And uh, when I took over First Bite in 2019, we obviously started working together a lot more. So First Bite is the Boulder County Restaurant Week. We have been running for 16 years now. We are hosting this year, we are back. Um, was uh, Last year we took a break for COVID, but we are back in October 8th through the 17th and are excited to be hosting at this moment, 29 different restaurants who are presenting chef curated menus uh, at a variety of price points to celebrate our local dining scene. I love how you say we took a, a break for COVID, like it wasn't such a devastating thing. So that's a good attitude. Or that it's not still going too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Dakota, what's your involvement in the event, both um, this year and in the past? Yeah. Um, so in the past, we've um, we being Cafe Aon has participated in First Bite. Um, it was running previous to Jessica taking it over, and it was always a really fun opportunity to showcase some unique items or some of our tapas or menu staples here at the cafe and get to reach some folks who might not venture up to cafe on otherwise. Um, Then last year during the COVID break, um, we were thrilled to, to be a part of the cookbook that Jessica published and put out. It was a really, really great opportunity for us and a fun way to interact with the public in a, in a different way. And this year, we're looking forward to participating again, both Cafe Aeon, uh, which is you know the restaurant, as well as our ghost kitchen, which we started over COVID, Brasserie Boulder. We'll be participating and putting out uh, menus for folks to enjoy. Great. Great. And Jessica, as uh, Dakota alluded to, I know First Bite's been around a long time, as you mentioned, 16 years now, but you're somewhat new to it. So can you explain how that came to be? Sure, absolutely. So I uh, took over in 2019. Uh, The previous founder and owner was actually a woman that both Dakota and I had worked with, Kate LaCroix, at the kitchens where we all met. And as I said, everyone becomes family. So we had stayed in touch through the years and she had reached out to me knowing that I was involved in the industry a bit and uh, did event planning and marketing 
So um, I came on and 2019 was our first year in production and kind of shifting things a bit. And then as Dakota said, we had to pivot last year like everyone else and decided to publish a bite of Boulder. Okay. So tell us some of the ways that this year is going to look different than previous years. So this year really is a continuation of what COVID started for us, which was uh, diving deeper into what was my mission when I took over, which was to really tell those stories in a deeper way. As you do in your blog and your podcast, we really have found that people are more interested in finding out the back behind the scenes story and getting to know chefs and restaurants on what they're doing and where their food comes from. And it's less Dining out has just becoming less transactional. So that's our desire is building a community of people who are engaged and excited about that. And last year, writing that cookbook really gave us a deep dive opportunity to tell that longer story about some of our restaurants and about our community. And so this year we are just riding the wave still and transitioning more into featuring these restaurants and these chefs as they are, you know, typical restaurant weeks typically have a appetizer entree dessert, and there's a lot of rules around it typically. Um, so we are still allowing, you know, chefs to offer multi-courses or multi-choices, but we're really trying to take the rules out of it. Um, the only rule is they have to stick to one of our three price points. And other than that, they can include um, whatever items, whatever variety, wine, anything that they're choosing to include to really present themselves in their most authentic selves. And, and I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about how people can get information at the end, but because there's going to be a little bit of variance in what restaurants offer, will those details be available on the website? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Starting in the beginning of September, they will each have a feature page on our website, which is firstbiteboulder.com. And you can explore their menus on there. You can click through the links to make reservations and just read more about each restaurant. Great. That sounds easy. Um, Dakota, tell us a little bit about your background in the restaurant and mostly your philosophy on food, because I know that's really at the crux of, of what anyone's restaurants are. Yeah. Um, so I, I came out to Colorado as a freshman to see you and got a job at um, Rumba, which is now Centro here in Boulder, uh, in college to make some money and ended up really loving working in the kitchen. And it was going well for me. So when I graduated, from CU, I continued on. Um, I got a kitchen manager position and a year later moved out to San Francisco and then up to Napa to continue my, my self-education in the restaurant world. Um, in San Francisco, I worked at Zuni Cafe and then up in Napa, I worked at Dean and DeLuca and then Julia's Kitchen. Um, these places were amazing for me. Um, when I was in Boulder, you know, the kitchen wasn't open yet or Frosca wasn't open yet. And it was just kind of getting going as a culinary place. So it was really eye-opening for me to travel to kind of, I don't know, such hot spots like, you know, San Francisco and, and then Napa um, and to work under great chefs like Judy Rogers, um, who are really at the forefront of farm to table, uh, wood-fired cooking, um, just these really kind of cool, um, cool places. And one thing I really 
appreciate in retrospect, and I don't think I realized it was, I don't know, it was a couple months ago, there was an article in the New York Times about Judy Rogers and about Zuni Cafe and just the community and inclusive um, manner and both in employees as well as um, diners and guests that they created. And, you know, thinking back on it, I can really appreciate that and really love how more than just, you know, the amazing food that was being put on plates. It was, it was really sort of a cool spot and meaningful um, gathering place for the community there. So after my time out in the Bay Area, I came back to Colorado. Um, I was the chef at the kitchen uh, for about three years. After that, I spent a summer cooking on a school bus uh, which was called Meadowlark Farm Dinners. And we would travel around to a variety of different farms here in Boulder County, set up a big long table for 40 and, you know, white tablecloth, great wines. We would pick ingredients that morning um, using everything we could from the farm we were set up at and create these great four and five course meals. That was a really incredible experience. One, just, I, I'm a pretty big out doors person. I love climbing and skiing and all those Colorado things. So to be outside cooking in the elements on a wood-fired grill um, was great, as well as building up these connections with local farmers. And then after that, I, I opened Cafe Aeon, uh, which is a Spanish-inspired restaurant, as you mentioned, up here on the hill near the university. So it kind of all came back full circle to where I started my, uh, my journey here in Colorado. Um, you know, interestingly, Cafe Aeon is not a really undergraduate focused restaurant. Um, I would say that the majority of our guests are folks who go to see you for performing arts or pre-theater, visiting artists, faculty, staff, and also people who are just looking for a unique place to eat that's off Pearl Street, you know, and kind of in the same vein that Zuni Cafe um, is in sort of a unique spot in San Francisco. And I think strove to create its own identity and place of gathering and a part of the city that was really, especially when they opened devoid of anything like that. Um, you know, we strive to create a unique place that's more than just great food on the plate. Dakota, do you want to share a little bit about how you built Cafe Anne? Because I think that story is fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I had about, you know, 10 years of running restaurants from the kitchen behind me and um, a lot of experience and felt very confident with food. Um, but no business experience. So I, I somehow talked the owners of Burnt Toast, the, the little cafe that was in the space Aeon is now to pass the restaurant on to me. And at a reasonable price, we were able to bootstrap it. And, you know, I got a couple of friends to help me and we built the bar and built the banquet and, you know, Jessica like got us business cards and like, <laughs> Our, uh, our Staples account, she was instrumental in getting us. She's like, oh, you're going to need like pens and paper. I was like, what, what, whoa. <laughs> so like, she's like, how about a menu? Have you thought about what you're going to print a menu on? I was like, 
oh wow no good good thing so we're really piecing it together and doing it on on a shoestring and uh, yeah it was myself and three other friends did everything um to painting to building and hammering and tasting and canning and um you know we we literally like we're out of money and we're like, okay, we, we better open, open up because uh, we need some money to flow in rather than out at this moment. Uh, so it, it was, it was cool. It, it was fun to, to do it like that rather than in a more corporate um, managed way. And why did you decide on a Spanish um, focus in particular? Yeah. So I, I really, I mean, two main reasons that I fell in love with going with that way. First is there's actually quite a bit of carryover ingredient wise. Like I, I love being able to work with local farmers and things like that. And what is grown here in Colorado is actually, you can find a lot of crossover is what's traditional ingredients in Spain. So peppers, eggplants, you know, you see a lot of lamb, onions, um, all of those things we can find here at our farms that you see in traditional dishes in Colorado, in Spain. Obviously, the seafood piece is missing, but, um, but that ingredient crossover, I, I really love. Like, it would be tough to do a farm-to-table Thai restaurant in Colorado. Not a lot of coconut here. Um, secondly is the style of eating. Um, I had spent a lot of time, um, leading up to Cafe Aeon working in quote unquote, fine dining restaurants, um, you know, white tablecloths, slightly more formal service. And at that point, you know, I was in my late twenties and wanted to make my own mark and buck the trend. And I was like, no, like, I love this informal style. I love you know, sharing with my friends and, you know, everyone just sitting around a table with a big mess and bottles of wine and, you know, kind of snacking throughout the night. And to me, um, you know, Spanish cuisine really lends itself to that informal style of eating um, with, you know, a variety of tapas and everyone sharing a big paella. And um, I just kind of fell in love with everything it represented. That sounds wonderful. Um, what, what does Aeon mean? Um, so Aeon, uh, before Burnt Toast, which is the restaurant Aeon took over and became, um, it was a used bookstore called Aeon Used Books. And there's this wonderful, I don't know, it's probably like six foot by four foot painting on the side of the building that said Aeon Used Books. And it really had been a, a centerpiece to this little community up here. A lot of professors would come and find spots and you could sit in a sunny window and cruise books. And um, so, you know, again, we're with, without my experience in opening restaurants, um, doing it all ourselves, we're like, oh, well, what are we gonna call this thing? And we're like, hey, there's a big sign on the side of the building that says Aeon, great, let's call it Cafe Aeon. <laughs> Um, I guess that's more where the name comes from. Uh -huh. um, but from what I understand, Aeon is a Greek um, sort of mythological demigod. Um, and from 
the little bit I've done research I've done, like someone like Zeus's poorly behaved stepbrother <laughs> um, is somewhere in the family tree that Aeon would land. Um, I believe there's also a very popular Korean online role-playing game by the same name. Hmm. I think that the Greek demigod is where the bookstore took the name from. Intriguing. Okay. <laughs> I, I also have to ask you, and maybe you said, and I, I didn't hear it, but what was your intended major in college before you? Uh, architecture. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I, you know, built the bar and, you know, did a little bit of design layout in the restaurant, that was the brief use of my, um, my degree. <laughs> okay. It, it wasn't all for naught. Then. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Dakota, let's talk a, a little bit about COVID uh, because I know, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it was and still is a terrible thing, but I know you took some of the first really big, bold steps to support and maintain the restaurant business in Boulder. Um, so can you tell us what some of those things were that you've, you've done? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, after last summer, which there was some, you know, outdoor dining and things like that, we we're headed towards the fall. And it, it was, that was, you know, kids had gone back to school for maybe a month and CU came and quickly, you know, went remote. And it was clear that the fall and winter was not going to go smoothly. Um, that we realized that we needed to get get some other things going for us to make it. Um, and that made sense for us in opening uh, a couple ghost kitchen concepts. One of the two was Little Bub's Family Meal. My wife and I had just had a son um, last March, so a COVID baby, kind of right at the beginning. And our nickname for him was Bub. So Little Bub's Family Meal was sort of family-sized meals that people could order for takeout and delivery. Um, so it's kind of like sheet pan size lasagnas and paellas and fried chicken baskets, um, you know, kind of a salad bar for your family, things, things like that, cassoulet, all meant to feed four to six, you know, and at that time, you know, moms and dads were balancing kids at home all day and everything else. So we thought that that might be a fun offering for folks who just wanted to place one order and feed the family. The other ghost kitchen concept was uh, Brasserie Boulder. Um, now at the beginning of COVID, uh, a Boulder Institute Brasserie 1010, also a French restaurant, um, closed down um, for good. They decided that well, for whatever their reasons, they just, it seemed like the right time for them to shut their business. And that was right at the beginning of, of COVID. So six months later, there was really a, a huge hole in Boulder's culinary scene. And, you know, people were still mourning it, as was I. They had this amazing happy hour. And it was really a cool spot that had been around for a long time. Um, so we thought, hey, that maybe that would be a great spot. Maybe people are missing you know, some brasserie classics and French comfort food were headed into winter. Uh, it made sense to us. It wouldn't be too difficult with our current set of skills and ingredients and techniques that we had honed at Aeon Cooking Spanish Food. Um, the French food didn't seem like too big a stretch versus if we had 
started, you know, Japanese food or something like that, that would require a huge, huge pivot for us. And interestingly, uh, it was popular or not, maybe it shouldn't have been, but having not run a French restaurant or cooked French food in quite some time, it was popular. People, people really loved it. I still dream about those hair coat bears. (laughs) Um, Oddly enough, you know, or maybe not, you know, some people were felt like it was unfair for us to to do a French restaurant because their favorite French restaurant had shut down six months prior and somehow we were dancing on their grave in um in starting this ghost kitchen. Um, you know, as as internet trolls be, it, it provided for some entertaining emails and Facebook posts. Um, but yeah, those were the two ghost kitchens and um, over that winter, when Cafe Am being such a small restaurant with interior side dining, we we were doing just takeout and delivery um, over last winter, and these two ghost kitchens um, really were what got us through. So you were basically running all three concepts at once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was it was really kind of funny, you know, the kitchen we had, I believe it was like 14 iPads or something set up because we would have three for Uber Eats, you know, Cafe on Little Bubs and Brasserie Boulder, three for DoorDash, three for Grubhub, you know, um, you know, Nosh, a local Boulder delivery we participated in. So it was, it was kind of like a very bizarre work environment for us to be, to be honest. Um, we just kind of, Rather than looking out, we have a, a little bit of an open kitchen at Aon and, you know, seeing guests come in and sitting down and waving at folks we knew, we were kind of staring at a bank of screens that would ding at us. And it was, it was surreal. It, it really was. But, um, but it allowed us to pay employees and keep uh, our core staff on and, and make it through the winter. Have you kept both of those ghost kitchen concepts going? Um, Little Bubs never took off in the way that um, Brasserie Boulder or Aon did um, for online kind of delivery takeout sales. Uh, So that one's kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, We still do offer large format paella and cassoulet uh, because it kind of carries over with Brasserie and and Aon. Um, But uh, Brasserie Boulder ha- continues to be our top selling um, for takeout and delivery. Okay. Um, and what's kind of exciting is, you know, this spring we did reopen for dining in and we have brought some of those French classics that we had so much fun cooking, you know, duck confit, focalan, cassoulet, um, onto the Aeon's menu. So people can come and dine here and you know, choose between a paella or a cassoulet. And um, previous to this, you know, our wine list was 100% Spanish. You know, I was very, very particular about that. And now we offer a few French wines by the glass. So it, it's kind of fun. You know, I guess the, the silver lining is it gave myself a chance to cook some food that I really enjoy cooking and eating. and that maybe we wouldn't have expanded um, to include those, those dishes and flavors had it not been 
been for the need. Right, right. So Dakota, for, for those who might be unfamiliar with the term ghost kitchen, can you define for us what that means? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So ghost kitchen refers to a place that you could order food from um, for delivery, but that you can't actually visit. Um, so you would be able to, you know, Brasserie Boulder had its own website. It has its own Instagram account. It has its own Uber Eats delivery page and DoorDash delivery page. Um, but there's no Brasserie Boulder that you could come and sit at. Um, it kind of exists in this virtual world where you visit it online, click some buttons, and then the Brasserie Boulder food shows up at your doorstep. Okay. So, but I mean, it's kind of interesting to know that like we, so we were in the kitchen of Cafe Aeon, we would get an order for Cocovan and cook it. And someone would come and like a Uber driver would come pick it up and deliver it. And five minutes later, we would prepare a paella to go and for Cafe Aeon and an Uber driver would come pick it up and dri drive it off. So we were cooking the food the same people were cooking food for both Cafe Aeon and Brasserie Boulder, um, unbeknownst to the customers. I see. That makes sense. And I want to say for our listeners, if, if you're hearing noise in the background, Dakota's at the restaurant right now, and it's, it's getting on in the <laughs> afternoon. So these sounds you may be hearing are authentic kitchen sounds and restaurant sounds so <laughs> so it's just just authenticity um i i know another first thing you did you know something that you did that that made you a leader in the restaurant community in boulder was your vaccination requirements yeah yeah and so again i you know i i can't like take complete credit for these ideas. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to be in this small, great restaurant community in Boulder. Um, and a lot of the benefits are just having these groups and people and mentors and colleagues that I can reach out to and bounce ideas off of and, you know, just kind of pick their brains and see what they're posting and, you know, the ghost kitchen came from a few other people talking about, geez, what can we do to increase revenue and how are we going to handle, you know, the indoor dining restrictions that are coming. And the same was with the, um, the vaccination, actually the woman, Kate Lacroix, who Jessica mentioned earlier, who used to own first bite, um, you know, was talking to me about concerns around Delta variant how are we going to handle this like how are restaurants going to be prepared um is there going to be another dining reduction and that really kind of spurred me to to take this action um that and you know in talking with my wife and my daughter who's um, in high school um you know they both have really you know felt the brunt of you know, COVID life, you know, my daughter missed the end of middle school and not getting to do a lot of sports and activities and sleepovers that she otherwise would have. Um, and, you know, my wife and sort of having to be that, that rock for our family at home and making sure everyone's 
on their Zoom classes and things like that. Um, both really thought this was a, an important step to take. Um, yes, yeah, so when a couple, I guess the, the main reasons why I decided to ask people to be vaccinated to dine indoors at Cafe Aeon is that um, restaurants are a lot different than other retail establishments, other places that people might spend their day. If you're shopping at Target um, for some shampoo or something, like you can complete that whole errand with your mask on. And that really does a lot to protect yourself, the people you're around. It's, it's easy. Um, the problem with restaurants is people are inside with their masks off more or less the whole time. And that can be tough for the staff. Yes, we can wear masks and do, but it's also the other diners are then taking a risk, um, especially you know, we're a smaller restaurant um, and even at reduced capacity, um, it's, it's riskier. And that's one of the few things, you know, one of the things we learned over the past year and a half, two years is that indoors is riskier than outdoors. Um, we have a huge patio at Aon and we're not asking for vaccination verification or anything like that if you wanna sit outside. Um, outdoors is, is pretty darn safe. Um, indoors is riskier. So we're just asking that folks who want to dine inside um, are a, you know, have been vaccinated for their own protection as well as the other diners. It's also kind you know, last fall when things went so poorly and were really rough, you know, especially up here in the university neighborhood, um, there are a lot of hot spots and flare-ups due to, you know, just so many students and living conditions and things like that. Uh, so there was a huge community outcry to CU to require vaccines should they return this fall. And they heeded that. Um, they do require vaccines for staff, faculty, and students. Um, so I feel like it's it's really kind of only fair to then ask the same for our, our business as, as we did to others. Yeah, and, and then there's also just the piece of trying to get out ahead of something, right? We spent, everyone I think feels like they spent the last year and a half trying to adapt to something new or trying to pivot or change and always being a little behind the ball and what's coming next. Absolutely. And to me, as we head into fall and the cooler months, like, you know, you, it's kind of clear that things are trending in a, in a less than positive way and a reduced capacity mandate or something like that would just be so difficult for restaurants and businesses. And why not do something now that might prevent that? Um, you know, proactive rather than reactive um, is kind of the thinking. Yeah, absolutely. You're so smart to do that. And, and I, I think, you know, the more people that do that and are bold about it, it'll become the norm. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten some 
flack from it or you will get <laughs> flack and and maybe that's an understatement <laughs> um but uh you know you're you're doing the right thing and everyone needs to do the right thing and you know it's the folks not doing the right thing that are keeping this going personally yeah, I'll just yeah, go ahead and put that out there. So no, it is. It's a really interesting spot that I feel like restaurants find themselves in, right? I mean, there's so much media attention and like, you know, public love for the celebrity chef and you know, right, countless cooking shows. And, you know, I I I won Cutthroat Kitchen and that was really cool. And, you know, I sort of my personality and public visibility grew of that. And um people oh you know the the bad boy chef not that i was but like you know out there you know there are the bad boy chefs or you know the the bad girl pastry chef or what you know the, these all these great personalities and you know saying these racy things and provocative whatever but restaurants i feel like maybe right now are just in a position where it's so difficult to make a stand and implement something we believe in because of being afraid mm -hmm. of public backlash it's been such a difficult year and a half two years that i i think restaurants are pretty darn scared to piss people off is what it comes down to mm -hmm. um they don't a lot of people don't feel like they can afford to um so it, it kind of feels like a unfair double-edged sword where a certain amount of personal flair and rebel image or you know really saying what you think is celebrated but at the same time i feel like it's pretty rare that restaurants have much of a public stance on say politics or policy they're they're really meant to be neutral because yeah you know oh you might piss off the rich republican who wants to you know buy that expensive wine is a very un-PC way of saying it. Yeah, and, and yet the irony is, I mean, although it's never been a, there's never been a more probably impactful time to be a restaurant. And yeah, you, you do have good reason to be afraid of pissing people off. In the end, what, what a horrible and ridiculous reason to have to close your restaurant potentially because people wouldn't do such a simple thing. You know, that, that if for me, if I had to close a business and, you know, for that reason, that would kill me and I'd, I'd really resent <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. There, there may be a little bit of resentment <laughs> tucked down in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about First Bite and, and you and Cafe Aeon. What are your plans, you know, menu wise and, and how are you feeling about it this year? Because this is a unusual year to be doing this. Yeah, um, we're thrilled. Um, we always feel like we get a great response to First Bite. Um, we get a lot of first-time <laughs> diners, which is always really fun. Um, again, uh, coming from running this business from a kitchen side rather than any sort of real marketing or business side, um, being able to reach new customers is always feels a bit magical to me. And um, that's something that First Bite always delivers on and, and that we love. Um, so we, we like to keep a lot of our, our favorites on the First Bite menu. So um, we'll be crafting for Cafe A on a menu that revolves around a shared plate. 
um, a paella. So people will have their choice of a couple tapas and then um, we'll have to decide on a paella to share, meat or vegetarian paella. And then they can split up and have a few choices for dessert. So yeah, yeah, really excited about that. And we're excited this year that um, Brasserie Boulder, our ghost kitchen is kind of coming out of the afterlife and joining us here um, for a dining in experience. Um, we'll be uh, featuring some of our favorite classic French dishes with beef bourguignon. Um, it'll be fall time and we love bringing that dish around and uh, moules and truffle fries and um, creme brulee. So it'll be a really fun, more traditional three course menu offered for Brasserie Boulder. Okay, so you'll have sort of two tracks of offerings going for both of the concepts. Yeah. Yeah, the shared cafe on menu and also the more traditional French three course with Brasserie Boulder. Um, we're also really excited to offer these menus um, for takeout and delivery. That was one thing that we were able to dial in and feel really comfortable in offering that. And I think people love the idea, of, even if they're not comfortable dining out, um, being able to do something special at home. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's great. And Jessica, is that, um, that ability to, to do carry out, is that going to be available with everybody? I hope so. Yeah, we definitely are encouraging our chefs this year to either create a separate menu that is more adaptable for takeout delivery or to offer whatever is their dine-in menu as well. We also found a way to kind of connect all the pieces as Dakota mentioned, there's a great organization in town called Nosh Boulder. They're a, a delivery um, company that is actually owned by some local restaurants. And unlike some of the other delivery um, companies, they cap their fees towards the restaurant. So it's a lower, you know, expenditure for restaurants and, um, you know, the owners do get investment in it. So we have partnered with them so that during the entire week or the whole 10 days, really, if you dine with them through any of our restaurants, as well as all of their restaurants that they have, they're going to be donating 10% of proceeds to EFA, which is the emergency family assistance group here in Boulder. And they do an amazing job and obviously have been in super high demand this year, helping out our neighbors who have been struggling with either food insecurity or rental assistance or any of those sorts of needs. So Nosh is really stepping up and you know, continuing to show how much of a community support they are and player um, by also supporting the delivery and, and takeout game. That's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I do just want to echo how, how great Nosh is, you know, being a small restaurant, running our own delivery service on top of everything else is just completely out of the question. And unfortunately, the larger corporations like DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub, they charge a restaurant 30%. So off our $100, they'll take $33. Um, and Nosh uh, has a much lower rate at 15%. So I, I just can't emphasize enough how, how important it is to have local players that are really invested in their community uh, participating and get the support that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely.
Jessica, you mentioned when we first started talking that the chefs were going to have a little bit more leeway this year in the yeah. format of things. Um, are there any other ways in which they may be doing things differently? Yeah, I mean, Dakota, for example, they're doing the shared plates and kind of making it more a shared, you know, truly tapa style um, meal. We have a few other restaurants that might be doing at that price point, you know, dinner for two. Um, similarly, we have some that are including, you know, whiskey tastings or other pieces of pairings with theirs. Um, and we have one one restaurant that is actually doing an all-you-can-eat tacos and margaritas for 90 minutes. So, you know, we, we're just trying to welcome chefs to be who they truly are. And I love that Dakota is really taking that. And for, you know, Cafe Aeon, it is always, you go to their patio, you split a paella, a bottle of wine and a couple snacks and, you know, make a meal out of it. So I'm, I'm so glad that he's doing that and taking that there. Um, one of the other things we're doing this year is we are doing brunch for the first time. So we offered to our restaurants that are open or if they wanted to join, if they were a brunch restaurant to feel free to join in, you know, you're as a diner, you're never just dining out potentially one meal, that same meal every week. Um, so I love brunch, you know, and I wanted to include those, um, amazing restaurants as well. So we have, um, a few of our restaurants are going to be providing brunch options on that first weekend. That sounds great. So Jessica, from the standpoint of you being the organizer of a first bite, what do you hope the restaurants get from this experience? And what do you hope the diners get? a great question. Um, I think, you know, for the restaurants, you know, I have worked so deeply and intimately in the last few years with them. And I hope that they feel the love from our community. You know, we more than ever as a society, we've, we've realized how interconnected we all are and how much we truly appreciate these, you know, small independent business owners, mom and pop shops. That's what gives each city and each County, uh, its culture and its personality. And, you know, I really want uh, everyone I assume wants to try and do their best to help keep these small businesses afloat. And I think that we should be really celebrating who they are and what they're doing in our communities. You heard from Dakota, you know, he does so much for our local community and, you know, really just celebrating. We've made it through this far. Um, I want to throw a party and, you know, hopefully we have uh, an even bigger party to continue to celebrate as this, you know, continues to pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to that. Yep. Uh, the second part of your question of diners, you know, similarly, I think, you know, as a diner myself, there was heartbreak as we watched our restaurants close and shut down and adapt and, you know, see those heartbreaks of having some, you know, fire all their staff and, you know, maybe, maybe throw their whole dream away, unfortunately. So I, as a, as a diner, it was heartbreaking and you kind of felt helpless you know, there's only so many, you know, to go margaritas you can order that, that make you feel like you're making a difference. <laughs> um, and so I really hope that the diners feel that excitement to come back out and come out as a community. You know, there's nothing like that, that feeling sometimes at a restaurant with vibing, you know, maybe a Friday night feel you walk in and you feel like you're part of something and, and you get to go experience that true, authentic, you know, ethos of a restaurant is really amazing feeling. So I'm excited for diners to get that. And I'm excited for people to try something new. I think a lot of people in the last year, you, um, you know, everyone reverted to what was safe and what we trusted, you know, you went and you knew that, you know, I knew Dakota did amazing food and 
he did these amazing paella kits that I knew that I could go get seafood from him and it would be well-sourced and fresh ingredients from the farms and, you know, that he could lead us in the right direction for a great meal that, you know, something my husband and I could share and feel a little bit better than, you know, cooking pasta again for the fourth time that week. So, you know, I think bringing it all together and just um, trying new places, maybe adventuring out a little bit more than we have been. I hope that diners do that and, you know, experience this amazing culinary scene. Like as, as Dakota said, we have such a really amazing group of restaurants and owners and food suppliers in um, Boulder and Boulder County. Wonderful. Now, in terms of trying something new, that leads me into my next question about the price points. Can you explain those a little bit? Because I know here in Denver with Denver Restaurant Week, one of the big selling points of that is that in the case of certain restaurants, with the price points they have, you can try things that at a price point much lower than you normally would if you went, you know, any other time of year. So can you explain how that might work for people and and in taking advantage of certain price points? Sure. I think, um, you know, more than anything, we, I'm leaning that the price points, they're 29, 39 and $49. That may not be per person. It might be for two people, but really it's a known quantity for you to sort the restaurants and look at what you maybe can afford or want to spend that night. Some restaurants at that price point, it's actually higher than what they typically offer. And they can put all kinds of food and, you know, pairings and stuff in at that price point. And other restaurants, you know, they might pare it down. It might be a smaller taste of what they provide. I think, you know, I tried to make sure that we can have a diversity of restaurants and a diversity of some more casual places and some more fine dining, as well as different cuisines. And, you know, hopefully there's something in there for everybody at at those different price points. Do you hope that people go multiple times, like just take advantage of a variety of restaurants during the course? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if that's something that you can do, we definitely encourage that. I think, uh, you know, the hardest part is always deciding where to go. And then the second part is can get a reservation. So definitely encourage, you know, dining out, um, as many nights as you can, different places, different neighborhoods, you know, that's, what's really exciting about, um, you know, Boulder and Boulder County is there's lots, lots to explore for sure. Okay. So before I'm going to ask you to, to kind of walk us through, you know, how, how it works um, as we conclude. But before that, Dakota, will you tell everybody how they can learn more about your restaurant beyond Boulder Restaurant Week, but any time of year, how they can learn more about you and your concepts? Yeah, yeah. Um, Just visit us at cafeaion.com, C-A-F-E-A-I-O-N. I do my best to keep menus updated there and on the first page, updates on what's going on in our neighborhood, um, events. Uh, There's going to be ways to make a reservation or shoot me an email or anything like that, as well as Brasserie Boulder. And then, you know, Instagram and Facebook, we have pages for as well. And they're all kind of linked together and clicked. So I think if Facebook or Instagram, just search for Cafe Aeon or Brasserie Boulder, uh, you'll find us and feel free to reach out. Again, we're just a, a small restaurant and I handle um, all of our social media and web presence and things like that. So uh, if you reach out, you'll you'll get a response from me. That's great. That's good to know. I'm, I'm, I applaud you for doing that because that's a challenge, but 
good for you. I mean, what a great <laughs> well, way to really keep inspired. your finger on the pulse of what people <laughs> want, you know? Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So Jessica, so tell us, so we, we go to the website and, and when are the restaurants, all the menus live? Sure. So firstbiteboulder.com is the website. Um, menus are going to be published um, September 7th. And so, you know, at that point, as many restaurants as have them, we will be publishing, you know, certain restaurants might be waiting to know what's a little bit more, you know, coming out of the, the farms at a certain point. So as soon as we get them from the restaurants, we're posting them and, you know, each restaurant has its own registration link or reservation link. And um, we will have on each of their pages how to do that. We'll have pictures included. And then we'll also have, you know, the takeout links included. So if, you know, one of the nights rolls around and you're not feeling like going out, um, certainly going on and perusing and finding someone's to-go menu is, is also an option from there. Okay. And and the dates for First Bite are? October 8th through the 17th. It's Friday night through Sunday the following week. So 10 full days. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time today. And Dakota, it, it's always very fascinating for me to get insight, kind of get into the brain of chefs because I, I just find that world fascinating. Obviously, that's why I do what I do, talking talking to all of you about it. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And <laughs> thank you for everything that you're doing to help keep restaurants alive and, and keep people alive, frankly, that too. And Jessica, this, uh, this is a great program. I'm so glad that you became part of it because in the, the couple yeah. of years I've known you, you've, you've done wonderful things with it. So I appreciate you both meeting with me today and doing this podcast. Now, as always, we always have a, an anchor article on ingoodtastedenver.com um, that uh, will have not only the little player for this podcast so that you can listen to it there, in addition to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a whole number of other places wherever you like to listen to podcasts. But on that article, we'll also have links to Cafe Aeon in your social media, and of course, to First Bite there. So people can just head right to it. And uh, we'll have some tantalizing pictures just to just to get the uh, appetite flowing. So thank you both. Good luck with the event this year. Good luck uh, with the restaurant business this year. And I, I know I'm definitely going to come up to Boulder and partake. And I've got to check out Cafe Aeon because my husband's a freak for paella ever since he went to... Uh, to yeah. Spain in college. All right. So we'll, we'll definitely come and check yours out. Sounds great. This was so fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. 